Hello, Liz here. Uh, we had some shenanigans with, with recording this week in that my microphone was fine for about half an hour and then it started sort of dipping in and out and our recording went all wonky and Audacity froze up and we disconnected and reconnected and tried again and got about nine more minutes, um, which I haven't edited yet, so it'll probably be more like five. And then I finally gave up and got Annika to do the outro. So this is going to be a short episode and a little bit scrappy. And it, my microphone problem started much earlier than I'd realized. So we're going to miss a really good conversation about red bursts and what do they mean and... Uh, Annika's aversion to speculation for speculation's sake. So sorry about that. Hopefully next week it will be better. Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace. Hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we discuss the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery, through the Valley of Shadow. So that was a nice, tight, coherent little episode. A plot, B plot, C plot. You know, yeah. it felt nothing, not, not remotely standalone, but it f- felt like it stood alone. Does that make sense? No, yes. It doesn't make sense. It makes sense in that uh, it was, it was not, yeah, it was not standalone because everything was like, like literally everything that happened in this episode was a connecting. It's like a lot of yeah. setup. But it was all sort of self-contained. There wasn't a lot of behind the scene, but like we couldn't see the, the cogs going behind it because it was all very, this is a thing that is happening right now. Yes, that's true. All the pieces are in place and it felt like everything that was set up in this res- episode was resolved and now we can move on to the next beat. Yes. So yeah, I liked it a lot. I, as I was just saying, I don't know how much I have to say about it because I have so few nitpicks, but you have <laughs> apparently been podcasting about it for two and a half hours already. <laughs> no, no, no. I was just podcasting about Discovery for two and a half hours, oh, not, not about this particular episode. <laughs> we did go on this uh, a kind of big tangent about uh, Captain Pike because he was a lot on our minds because of this episode. This was a very big Pike episode. But some of my friends have found annoying they're not big Pike fans, but I really welcomed it because I was just thinking the other day that Pike has sort of faded into a supporting role for this season, which is good, but I would like to know more about him because I like him, and now I do, and it's terrible. Yeah, and I I also think uh, because there's no point in introducing him or Spock, or anybody that we already know, if you're not going to do something with them. Yeah, otherwise it's just pure fan service. Yeah, and so, you know, I wanted Spock and Pike to be integral to the plot, and I think that they have been, that it, that has that has been granted uh, to me. I like, just because I, you know, I, I like how we discuss titles, and I like that this was a vague biblical reference yes. for... The Pike episode, the vaguely Christian captain. Yeah, because I re- he he really does have this sort of faith part Thing. to him. They, there's like it's like an umbrella almost. There's something hanging over him. Oh, I know a halo. 
<laughs> that you know guides him and that it's certainly present in this episode and as much as he is representing starfleet as a as a concept i think that his particular brand of starfleet is sort of grounded in this vague christianity yes it's sort of a, a oh what, what's the word starfleet is treated as his secular religion which I think is very fitting for the iconic Starfleet captain. Yes, I think that I think that is a very good way of putting it. Yeah, I really like. Okay, I think I've discussed before, probably in our very first episode, how much I hate the menagerie and its depiction of disability and the whole living a fantasy life with creepy alien creepers is better than being disabled because apparently the Federation just doesn't know how to deal with disabled people they can create a telepathically controlled wheelchair but he can only communicate in beep one yes beep two for no yeah so (laughs) it's bad part of me oh it's terrible it was bad in 1966 it's worse in 19 in 2019 And, and so part of me is quite annoyed if not outright angry that this has been integrated into the story and we can't just hand wave it and pretend it never happened and the use of body horror for shock value in the vision of his flesh melting before him stuff like that it was i don't think that there is a way to save the concepts in the menagerie or redeem them for a contemporary audience and I almost wish they hadn't tried even though I appreciate the work they've done in giving him a lot more agency at every step of the way and reinforcing his relationship with Vina and all of that so I'm so mixed about it because I hate that but I love what it says about Pike that he's going to do it anyway yeah I I have a similar take yeah I agree with everything you said I really strongly I mean I I think I've said that I hate the menagerie like the cage is one thing it's it could you could have just said eh that didn't actually happen that that was for you know we could have forgotten that but it it would have been a nice easter egg but they stuck it into you know they made the menagerie and that really makes it worse and make because I I really can't stand Spock's decision and I do think that they put in work to try to fix it I don't think that it's fixed I think you're right that it's not it there is still a lot of problems but they at least acknowledged that the disability is not the end of him I guess like they he's saying like Pike is is choosing you know saying that it's the disability, like being disabled, wouldn't be the end of his service. Or yeah. That, that at least, you know, in theory, that he he still knows who he is, even if that's how it, how it ends up. Yeah. And I think it's very interesting. A friend of mine pointed out that he describes it as a fate, not the fate he would have expected, which I think is a really interesting and neutral way to, to react and... It's it's not an, a particularly ableist or horrifying phrase. So I like that. I just like you say. I don't think that there's any saving this concept. Yeah, it's just it's all it's all bad. And uh, my brother pointed out that you know it's pretty hard to believe that they couldn't you know that 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 the the telepathic wheelchair where he uh, 
beeps at you is the best they could do when we've been we've met Arium, who was a perfectly <laughs> human person who had some sort of terrible accident and then was a cyborg like yeah yeah i was going to say the exact same thing we know that Ariam had some kind of like cybernetic augmentation to her brain but even if they abandon all the ai and stuff pike's brain is still intact he just needs you know physical augmentation yeah. and whatever to repair the damage and replace the irradiated parts of him so yeah it, it's just it's weird it's sort of contemporary ideas hitting up against gene roddenberry's dislike of transhumanism and i am also not a fan of transhumanism but i think that uh adaptive technology is important yeah that i found the face melting to be really disgusting like that's the that's the thing that bothered me the most of yeah, on discovery was... <laughs> like so far has been that so uh it was gratuitous and othering yeah but i assume my my take on it is that they included that to say this is why he couldn't get a cybernetic body the way Arium did like there was some he was continuously ah. like it was constantly happening like every you know seven minutes I just made that up but his face starts melting and so because of the radiation like there I'm trying to give it a scientific reason to something that is clearly not scientific but <laughs> That was that was my assumption of why that was included and why like I was like okay, this is the only explanation that makes sense with what we know about the universe that they have created, and so that's what I'm taking it as. I wish you didn't have to watch it, and I think that uh, as you said, it's still a problem. I had assumed that the face melting was metaphorical and just to reinforce the nightmarishness of the vision and the surreality and, and everything. So that's really interesting. It hadn't occurred to me that he would be, I guess, continually irradiating himself. <laughs> I mean, it's literally, I made that up. But though, well, but I, it's, what I'm, it's what I'm going with. <laughs> it seems like as valid an interpretation as any. Fair. I mean, first of all, Anson Mount killed it in that scene oh like he, he was amazing absolutely sold all of the emotions that happened and i really liked that he had to take a step back and make the decision that he he had to you know give himself a little inspirational speech the way that he gives everybody else like it was yeah it was just so solidifying his character but also acknowledging like how actually hard it is to say, yes. I am going to accept this sacrifice that I don't know when is going to happen. <laughs> he doesn't know anything more, but he just has the, this like foreknowledge. Like that's kind of terrifying. That's amazing. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. And and he is able to move forward, you know, after giving himself a speech. It, it really said a lot about Pike, and I think that you know that is very valuable. It told us a lot about Pike and about what every Starfleet captain aspires to be. Mm. You know, he came up last year in Saru's How to Be a Captain <laughs> Google search is the most decorated officer. Yes, and, and he has the Medal of Valor named after him eventually. Yeah, I feel like we've learned more about Pike. I've always liked him, but now I'm very emotionally engaged mm. in what's happening behind his eyes. And uh, he seems so haunted in the scenes afterwards. It's just, it's just really 
very good, mm. except for the bits that are bad. <laughs> and I will say, uh, you know, last year my main, at least one of my main complaints was that the whole We Are Starfleet thing, which, again, emotionally I love it, but when I think about it textually mm. and contextually, they never explain what it means, and they just assume that the person who is watching, the audience already knows what that means and so they don't express it in any way visually or texturally in yes. in the episode or in that season and this season seems to have been about explaining what we are starfleet means and so i appreciate that they have taken like pike is basically a stand-in for Starfleet, and I like that he is representing Starfleet, but at the same time is not considered representative of, that there are a, lo yes. a lot of ways to be Starfleet. <laughs> and most of them are pretty valid. Yeah. Even Section 31 has rules and a code before, before control takes over. Right. They probably won't by the 24th century, and I assume that we'll find out why that is with the George O series, but... There are lots of different ways to be Starfleet, just as there are lots of different ways to be a fan. Oh. But most of them are right. Yes, that's that's excellent. Just as most ways of being a fan are right, <laughs> until you're into jerk gatekeeping territory. Yeah. It's, it's very it's very meta, and and you know a lot of uh, people that I follow on Twitter have adopted the We Are Starfleet hashtag even in their name, and you know. They're saying that they are, and so I like that that, that uh, idea that it both means something within the series and without. Yes. So, shall we move yes. on to the secret baby who's now an adult? <laughs> so <laughs> My <I> was, favorite character. <laughs> I was going to sing the secret baby song to the tune of Secret Tunnel from Avatar The Last Airbender, but you're all saved from that because now he's a grown-up, as all Klingon children grow up very fast, and I think he's beaten the record. So you're saved. <laughs> and and uh, Kenneth Mitchell knocks up a third Klingon on his IMDb page. <laughs> yep, he's just, he's like, he's the Klingon specialist now. I like he's it. He's the Jeffrey Combs of Discovery. Yes, <laughs> but... But in, with Klingons, like, you know, it was like, it was cute when he played a relative of his original character, but now it's just like, no, nope, I'm just all the Klingons. I wonder if they're having trouble finding people who can, like, not only can wear the makeup, but have a face that suits the makeup. And pull it because off. I, yeah. Yeah. Because I think that's one of the reasons why people like Jeffrey Combs and Vaughn Armstrong turned up so often. In the in nineties tricks that they were just the people that they trusted to do the job without undue discomfort. Yeah, that and, makes sense. Yeah, whereas someone like Mary Chifo is too identifiably Mary Chifo to play any other role at this point. Nabu, I still want her to be <laughs> to like not another Klingon, but I think that Mary Chifo should absolutely be along with I forget the actress's name, but she was a killer. And oh, Susie Plaxton. Susie Plaxton and Dr. Salar and uh, um, the female Q. The female Q and the Andorian lady in Enterprise. Oh, yes. Yep. I'm not up to that yet, but I'm so keen for Andorian lady shenanigans. Yeah. Yes, okay. Mary Chifo can have all the yeah, roles that's she right. wants. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm putting that out there in the ether. She should be the new Susie Plaxton. Let's go. They could appear together. Oh, my it gosh. Could happen. 
That would be How great. tall is Susie Plaxon? Let, let, let's work this out later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what did you think of Atanovic himself? I find it really, like, I love getting glimpses of Klingon culture beyond drinking and fighting and shouting about honour because you can't have a society that's nothing but drunk frat boys basically yeah drunk frat boys with knives and so he's a different kind of Klingon again and I I feel like he and Worf would get along very well if they could meet through timey-wimey stuff because he seems contemplative in a way that Worf is Mm. and sort of detached from mainstream mainstream Klingon culture so yeah I liked him we don't know much about him except that he's pretty happy with his life and knows who he is and has a real sense of purpose that his parents certainly didn't have until recently so yeah i'm glad that their kid is doing well and that he's not the evil albino of deep space nine fame though you know he could he could still have kids of his own nerdy gal 33 on uh on twitter heather said uh, he's the absolute opposite of the angry, evil albino everyone thought that yes. child would turn out to be, and that is what is meaningful. And I just yes. completely agree. It's like another one of those, it's like a twist that you didn't, not that you weren't even looking for. Everyone's like, oh, well, obviously that is going to be the, the evil albino who, mm. uh, who has a vendetta against the, these people that we know and love. Not only that, but the evil albino is sort of another ableist trope throughout media. I yeah. think the most prominent other example is um, the Da Vinci Code. Would, would, yep. <laughs> that that <laughs> yeah. terrible, terrible book and the even more terrible movie, yes. So it's good to have a character who's an albino who is not evil or a fanatic or in any way a jerk. He's just a person. If media in general wanted to do more of that, mm-hmm. that would be great. I'm still not letting Disco off the hook for it, the whole Pike business, but it's possible to have a win and a loss for representation in one episode. Yeah, there you go. Well done, team. <laughs> Which is better than not trying. <laughs> so, Yeah, yeah, and I do respect that they are attempting to make Pike's fate less horrifying. Yeah. What did you think of him? I don't know if this has been a theme on our podcast, but uh, I love legacy characters and uh, especially when they're uh, separated from their family in some way and they have to like, you know, I I love to look at the different ways that they're alike and different. And, you know, I'm a, I, I grew up with comic books and so the idea of a baby that is immediately an adult is, is super on brand <laughs> for things that I follow. So I was like, yeah, this is this it's great. I love uh that he exists. I feel like we're you know, if we ever see him again, it, it will be a surprise. I I I love the the idea of uh you know, I want I want him to meet Ash and Laurel and have like this really awkward craziness and it, you know, I'm I'm super into ridiculous family mm. uh, relations, but I do think that that it was a glimpse and that it was sort of putting to bed the Ash and Rillerell relationship, and even like the whole Klingon plot. Like we, I was talking yeah. to people earlier. Are we ever going to see Lorel again? Like, of course we're going to see Lorel again, but at the same time. 
that storyline is has a has resolved. had a door closed. Yeah, it had it is resolved and in a in a sweet way. Like Ash and Laurel were very sweet. Like I didn't fully buy into the I've always known that you were in love with Michael Burnham part. Yeah, I was like, why? Really? Why would you know that? that? (laughs) Like, it was another what? It was another like, why is Spock talking about Paul and Hugh? (laughs) I don't understand why he's involved in this at all. I I guess I, I, I wish we had seen more conversations where they discussed her ever in order for that to have a meaning. But the you know when they found out. Tenevig's name and held hands and it was very it was a very sweet ending to what was a another pretty problematic <laughs> part of discovery that again I don't think you can fully fix but they they moved past it I guess is the best way you know they said okay we acknowledge that that wasn't the there were parts of the story that were not great and we are going to resolve it in this, you know, everybody has come to grips with that. Like everybody has, has, has grown and moved on and we're all okay here. It felt like a way of basically putting that whole plot line to bed, but in a respectful way that acknowledges what the characters have gone through. It's not sweeping it under the rug in any way. Yeah. So yeah. it was very sweet and Tenevik was sweet and I loved his costuming. That was gorgeous. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And and I I liked that it that he was the one to as the guide for Pike. It was it it was more meaningful for that character to have a connection to people outside of what was happening. Yes. Like it could have it could have been any random monk that and it would have been perfectly reasonable and normal adding this extra layer of connection like that you know it it, it, it like it sounds ridiculous but it made me ship mm-hmm. Tyler and and, uh, and Pike more because it was like <laughs> oh Pike like really cares <laughs> about you know he he's like I I knew you know I know another Klingon like that and it and then he like brought the message back to them and it was just it was like yeah. oh this is so sweet that now he's like a part of this ridiculous baby plot i i mean i know a lot of people who just really were against that to begin with but i like it i i i I like that they leaned into the soap opera aspects of it (laughs) we as a podcast are very pro secret baby i keep you know uh ranking that episode pretty darn high for (laughs) like I'm just like I'm the only person on the planet who's like putting this in the top five, but no, no, I totally like, am. I liked, I liked the premiere, and we've discussed how New Eden didn't work for me, but the third episode with the Klingon shenanigans is like where it sort of came together and became fun, crazy, weird disco. And I honestly feel like season two has been less crazy than season one. Which is fine, you know, not everything has to cater to me personally. But if we could get some more evil empires up in here, that would be great. I think I may just miss Jason Isaacs. Anyway, uh, I was going to say that I really loved the uh, divorced couple vibe 
that Ash and Laurel had and the look on Pike's face when they switched to Klingon to have their argument. And he's like, oh no, I, I, I am not qualified to, you know, manage this relationship. Please make them stop. Exactly. I really liked that they... they... <laughs> that they were like squabbling it was it was so funny because Laurel was like we're not going to talk about this in front of Pike and then like they immediately started arguing about it and it was just like no nope. <laughs> like that was just a statement that she couldn't stick to for you know three seconds <laughs> it was a nice callback to Star Trek V's not in front of the Klingons <laughs> no it was great I really mm. I really liked it and also you know on the uh the divorced couple I also liked that Michael was was completely supportive of Ash's yes. revelation that there was zero jealousy or like that's weird or why didn't you tell me or it was just like oh okay <laughs> like I wish that I could you know I, I wish that I could have helped you through that like that was just yes. so at Wonderful. no point does she react as if she was entitled to this knowledge because she wasn't, but she cares about Ash and she wishes that she, he hadn't had to deal with that alone. And I think that's really insightful and mature and perfectly in character for Michael, who is quite good with other people's emotions. And I just, I just, I liked the lack of drama about it yeah. because I was sort of dreading uh, the bad kind of soap opera shenanigans. Right. No one wants relationship angst for plot reasons. Like, yeah. It, like, that's unnecessary. Relationship angst that comes out of the plot, like what we see with Paul and Hugh, like, that's, it's valid because it's, like, grounded in the story. Mm. But it, you're absolutely right that it would have been completely out of character for Michael to get upset about this secret baby. But in a lesser series, <laughs> it absolutely yes. would have been played just to shake up that relationship and just to, like, be, ooh, secret baby. And honestly, I really like how Ash and Michael's romantic relationship has basically taken a backseat this season. They clearly still have a lot of feelings for each other. They still love each other. They're still sort of dancing around each other, but it's very much a D-plot, which... You know, I am happy for it to step back for a season. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, it has to be. They, they have plenty of other things that they have to handle right now. Oh, yeah, and Ash is still dealing with the whole I'm Vogue thing. Yeah, so, so. It, it's actually great for them to have, like, the maturity level in their relationship to be like, we can be connected without pushing this. Yeah, I actually think that Discovery has the best depiction of a long-term relationship Probably in all of Star Trek. I, I like Paris and, and Torres, but I don't remember them. They, they weren't particularly mature characters to start with. <laughs> At all. <laughs> I love them, but yeah, no. <laughs> no, well, I just, it's also difficult to compare because they're yeah. such different people and neither of them is secretly a Klingon. <laughs> but certainly I think 90s Trek would have taken this sort of storyline and executed it very poorly. Right, exactly. That's that's what I really was so impressed with. It's not like I expected Discovery to do it bad. It, you know, it was like they could have gone Riverdale on it and it would have been wrong for the series and the characters. And so yeah. that's all, you know, it's like, good job not doing that. Yeah. 
and Michael has her own thing going on with her adventure with Spock and their conversation with Amanda, which I loved. I love, like, I love everything. You know, I love that Spock did, you know, contacted Amanda and, and explained everything. Which confirms that for all the years he wasn't speaking to Sarek, he was absolutely talking to Amanda on the regular. Yeah. And which I think, I think we, we all... Like, that is very in-character for Spock. Like, again, Spock yeah. idealizes his relationship with his mother, in my opinion. But they also have a really good relation. Like, they have a, like, communication. Like, the, the, the only communication that Spock gets with his family is definitely through his mother. And, I, you know, the, the Michael and Spock relationship was just perfect in this episode. They were squabbling siblings who absolutely leaned on each other the entire time. Yes. The only thing I felt like it was missing is that I think Spock logically should have been able to deduce that Gant was very likely to be a very obvious control plant and should have found a moment to say, to, to warn Michael to be careful of him. Yeah. Like, I, like the whole point of using Gant, I guess, was Control's attempt to... Manipulate uh, play Michael. on Michael's emotions, but she had Spock with her, so she should have been less vulnerable to that. Yeah. So, dropping the ball, Spock. Sorry. <laughs> like points from Spock. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. The whole. I, I guess. Like I was trying to put myself in Michael's place and being like, okay, this this is obvious to the audience, but is it obvious to Michael? Is it obvious to Spock? But I really feel like even Michael should have been suspicious. Like. It just seemed really, I, I don't know, the whole, like, as soon as he showed up, it was like, and they did, like, the flashback to, to the pilot, yeah. I was like, no, no, you are not that person. <laughs> like, there's a 0% chance that you are not uh, a control plant that is manipulating this whole thing. And mm. I, I was doing my Admiral Akbar. it's a trap! Yeah. <laughs> thing until my flatmate made me stop which i mean i i understand that for the plot to work they had to believe it but they could have at least like even in like in star trek beyond they followed the lady that they were pretty sure was a was a plant like was a trap Mm. but they acknowledged that they thought it was a trap you know it's like they like if there was just been a one little sidebar with between Spock and Michael where they were like, we can't really trust this guy, and they and they came to the decision that they, even if it was a trap, they were going to move forward because it was the best way to get information, which would be reasonable. Like that, that would have solved this whole issue. Because I just, yeah, I think for me, Michael being taken in made sense because she carries a lot of guilt about the fate of the Senshow, and I think any opportunity to reconnect with the crew she had back then means a lot to her. But Spock, you know, like I said, should have said something. It's only logical. (laughs) And the other thing I just want to say about Gant while we're on him is... He's so pretty. (laughs) That wasn't what I was going to say. I was going to say... But now it's out there. (laughs) But now it's out there. Then fair. Okay. I, I acknowledge he's so pretty. That he was like he w- he switched from human to control voice, and it was very reminiscent of the Borg. 
I like continue to insist this is misdirection. I admit that it could be misdirection, which will annoy me. I, I'm just put it out there. I don't want the Borg to be the answer, but if it's just misdirection, like if it's just they're trying to trick us, I hate that. Like I, I, I will put that out there. I hate being manipulated to think one thing that isn't true. You remember when they created a whole fake IMDb page for an actor who didn't exist yeah, and, to cover up the Vogue review? And I hated that. Like, like <laughs> on, on one level, it was like art, you know? It was cool that they were, that they were taking it to that level. But it, was, it just seemed like... It seemed like they they were playing a game with us. Like they're like, ha ha ha, we know more than you. I love the game though. I I like the plot to make sense. That but what the one thing that I'm complaining, it wasn't even like like Gant. The first time I saw it, I watched it twice, and the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, it's not you know. Uh, I didn't have the whole he's so Borg thing. Like I didn't even even put mm. in our outline. That wasn't the first like I wrote he's a p- obvious plant, but I didn't write and he's a Borg <laughs> until the second time I watched it. And mm. in the previously on, the only line that that Control Leland says is struggle is pointless. And I'm sorry, but struggle is pointless is a synonym for resistance is futile. I know this is true, but I don't think the Borg have right. uh, a, a monopoly on three-word slogans. Yeah, Having but said they're that, like at the same point, words. Like, <laughs> like struggle I know, and resistance. I know. And at this point, there will be a cube turning up on the screen, and I'll be saying, eh, it could, anyone can have a cube ship. Okay. So I, I just, I like that it, if they hadn't put that in the previously on, it wouldn't be as annoying to me. Like, it's, an, it's annoying to me that if they say that and then it's not the Borg, I'm feeling, I feel tricked. And yeah. so, like, I just... I don't want it to be the Borg, but I want it to be the Borg so that they're not tricking me. Like, which is a ridiculous position to take. But that's where I'm at. It's consistent with your taste. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just like, a, I'm a, I'm, I don't know. I'm a brat. <laughs> it's fine. I'll forgive you. You're probably right that it's the Borg. I just don't want it to be right. So there. Uh, there are plenty of people who don't want it to be the Borg, which is like, is also a thing that annoys me like you don't annoy me and individual people not wanting it don't annoy me but like this rising tide of it's it reminds me of the I don't want Lorca to be from the mirror universe like it's the same rising tide of I don't want this Mm. plot point to be true and like I understand that, but it's part, like... We don't, unfortunately, we don't get to hold our breath and, until we turn blue yeah. and they change the plot. Unfortunately, speculation yeah. is now a part of... Like, which is why they play these games, you know? Mm. And they want, like, they want there to be twists. And I'm just sort of like, I don't... I want... If there has to be a twist, it has to be a twist that makes story sense. That, like, it's, like they, it was always going to be that way and we are going to tell the story as a puzzle in order for it to be masked for a certain amount of time that's okay but if it was like we decided that we want to have a twist where can we put that in this story i don't that i don't like does that make sense no no it that actually makes perfect sense like if you don't have a good way to execute a twist you don't need that twist and and (laughs) 
you know, plenty of people have watched Discovery knowing what all the sweet season one twists were and enjoyed it because the story has to be more than surprise. Which is why I'm not afraid of spoilers generally for older things because the execution should be as interesting as the mystery. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. If the story cannot withstand you knowing absolutely everything that happens, it's not a good story. Yeah, yeah. But I can... I can see ways that it's not the Borg, that it's still interesting, but I I am sort of getting to the point where I think future control has assimilated and then destroyed the Borg. And that, I'm sorry to say, is where the audio became increasingly, how should I put it, blippy. So we shut down and we tried to resume, but we actually lost about, oh, maybe 10 minutes of conversation where we covered topics like is Jet Reno's wife being dead part of the dead lesbians trope or just a reflection on the nature of war? I think we, we concluded that it could be both. As we resume, we're discussing Michael's suggestion that they destroy Discovery to escape control and the irony of that plan's use by other characters. Absolutely, they're definitely not going to destroy Discovery, but I, I like that they're talking about it. It's like, oh, you really are a Star Trek. It's comforting, almost. <laughs> and also, I mean, I mean, the fact that uh, you said the, the Lorca would be confused about why they're evacuating first, which is funny, but it's also like that we, you don't talk about evacuate. Like they, they, it's a, it's not as... You know, I mean, this is like a whole, the whole crew compliment had, you know, he, he got the Enterprise so that they could shove them all over onto another ship. Yeah, there's no escape pods or shuttlecraft yeah. and hoping for the best here. That's like a big deal. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a plan. It's like, yes, I'm going to take your crazy destroy the ship plan and go with it, but I am going to be intelligent about backing everything up and you know it's not going to be the last resort it's going to be the the next step we bring in yeah so i i appreciate that there's like the, we learn both about michael and pike in that and, and exchange also like they would need to evacuate and they would need to get as much stuff off because if they just let the ship blow up then they lose the spore drive and all the bits and pieces that make yeah. it work we, the audience, know that the spore drive has a limited lifespan, but they don't know that. As far as they know, the project is going to continue. Yeah. Imagine being Paul Stamets. Oh. Like, yeah, your life has already been completely messed up over the past two years. Like, it's been it's been destroyed, and now we are going to blow up all of your research. Yeah, and your like your life's work. Yeah. Sorry. Oh well. Oops. <laughs> But yeah, so I'm excited for next week. I'm excited for the Enterprise and number one. And do you think she'll get uh, it? In? I, I, I've almost given up hope at this point. <laughs> I know that's important to you. I mean, I I've seen a lot of people saying that they should name her Majel, and I think that that would be kind of awesome. You know, I would really like that. That'd be a really good tribute to someone who is really important to the Star Trek mythos, and so. I, if they don't give her her name, I'm going to go with that. I'd certainly like it a lot better than Una. Yeah, I've never really liked Una. I think I wrote a whole fic where I very carefully only referred to her as the first officer or the commander. And then I made her captain of Discovery in one fic and she had to have a name. So it was Una, but it was kind of like, well, fine. 
but I, I would yeah. be very happy. I don't like it at yeah. all. No, it's silly. Right, Riker had a name and was called number one, so it's not like it's not difficult here, guys. <laughs> just just give her a name. Well, it's, it's like the the Romulan commander of the Enterprise incident, and I know there was also a male un, unnamed Romulan commander played by Mark Lennard, but uh, there are a handful of women with interesting roles who didn't get names. In the original series and it's like well you can you can command yeah. a ship or you can have a name but you can't have both and it's actually annoying that there are two romulan commanders because you have to like Specify. you have to explain which one you're talking about and i just it really bothers me to write to write the female romulan commander like i just hate that especially since it's the romulan commander and the female yes. romulan commander it's never like the male romulan commander <laughs> so you know screw that and <laughs> And they they deserve names. But anyway, let's talk about costumes. <laughs> you had a question, though. <laughs> oh, I just wanted to point out, I'm pretty sure that Section 31 has 31 ships. The 31 that appear, plus the one that Michael managed to disable and delete control from. And I, I tried to count the bodies. It was very morbid, and I couldn't see any, but I think they are all crewed by 31 people. So that's creepy. just want to put that out there. Before Control took over Section 31, it was already super creepy. <laughs> well, it's just like, they're so Federation that even though they're the dark, scary version <laughs> of the Federation, they're still, they're just really committed to the it's aesthetic. Just, like, they have their, yeah. their black EV suits, and their numerically themed crews. And- I was kind of shocked that there were so many. Like, I I imagined Section 31 as this super secret spy organization that, like, I, I guess I don't, I don't think about how many ships there actually are, but it's like, they, they, it's because of what we've seen, you know? There have been way too many episodes and movies where the Enterprise is the only ship available. And so if the Enterprise mm. is always the only ship available, they can't have that many, you know? And so if they have, whatever, 100 ships, and then they also have 31 secret spy ships, it's like, wait, what? Like, it just seems like a lot. Well, I, I have to assume that the vast majority of these ships are either small and fast and like you know they're diplomatic carriers they're the ubers of, of starfleet and they're zipping around between the known planets and others are freighters and haulers and hospital ships like the hiawatha and the enterprise is one of the few that can do anything okay i understand why the enterprise is always the only ship because that's what the you know mm. that's what the the story is about the enterprise so it has to be the main ship but this is a, I guess, a world-building issue with Star Trek that I still, to this day, I don't know how many planets are a part of the United Federation planets. I don't know how many ships Starfleet has. I don't know where Starfleet is other than San Francisco. Like, that can't be the only campus if there are, if it's like this huge thing, why is it out of Earth all the time? Like, I don't know. There's a lot of world building about Starfleet and the United Federation of Planets that is not there. And so that's why I always want a political uh, series or a series about Starfleet Academy. Like those are, I like those ideas that they always sort of like float around but never actually make. Because those are, I'm really interested in those questions in like what exactly is the United Federation of Planets? Are you there? Have I lost you again? 
Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at at antimatterpod. Sometimes we post cat pictures and admiral cat pictures. If you like us, leave us an iTunes review. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us next week for more discovery.